If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning, friends, and welcome. Oh, there we go. Yeah, we'll do it again. That was, that was weird. All right, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> and welcome on this third Sunday of Advent from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Would you bow your heads with me? We would prefer to interpret the text as if Isaiah is talking just about himself, Holy One, when he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, it sounds like a lot of work. We are quietly glad that Isaiah uses me instead of us or you, except Jesus ruined that interpretation. Right out of the gate, Jesus borrowed Isaiah's words, making all that work his responsibility too. And then, to make it worse, he recruited others to help. Oh, Jesus. We know what that means. It's our job too. All that's left to do then is to pray for wisdom and courage as we tighten our ponytails and roll up our sleeves. There is so much to do, but if you have anointed each of us like Isaiah and Jesus imply, then there will be a bunch of us taking personal responsibility for the common good. We trust that many hands make light work, Holy One, So here we go. We pray in the name of Jesus, who showed us how. Amen. Our reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 24 through 56. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since, you know, I am a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me? that the mother of my Lord comes to me. For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down, from the, power, the, down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. Here ends the reading of our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. The third Sunday of Advent today is called Gaudete Sunday, taking its name from the Latin word meaning rejoice, the first word of the introit for the day in the Catholic tradition, and also the first word the angel is said to have said to Mary when he appeared to announce her miraculous pregnancy. This Sunday is traditionally the day when we read the Magnificat, which we just finished, in which Mary indicates that she was pleased with the news that she was pregnant. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
Well, of course she was joyful and rejoicing, right? We sometimes assume that she was immediately on board with the plan, capital T, capital P, since the text tells us in verse 39 that she gave her consent. Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. We often make the mistake of skipping right to her song of praise, the Magnificat, in which she rejoices and claims to be blessed. But that isn't how it happened, as we know, because we just read it all. If we listen a bit more closely, her words don't sound exactly joyful. I mean, it is impossible to read tone, but there aren't even any exclamation points to indicate Mary was happy about this news. There's an argument to be made that the text gives us other clues to how Mary really felt, which seems to definitely not be joyful. There are six entire verses in between the angel disappearing and Mary clearing her throat to sing. If we read closely in between the lines of verse 38 and verse 39, it's just a blank space there in the text, we find that Mary is having a panic attack. It's not unreasonable to think that she was trembling and experiencing dizziness, increased heart rate, and may even have experienced chest pains. I mean, this is what can happen when one experiences a major life stress or traumatic event, like being told by an angel that you are pregnant in a way that absolutely no one will believe. This explains why, after the angel's glow fades, that the next verse tells us, in those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country. She hightailed it out of there because she was scared. And we know why. The prospects were grim for unwed pregnant teen girls. She was either going to be shamed to death or stoned to death. So Mary runs to the safest place she knows. And church people should note with chagrin that she did not head to her local house of worship. A note to say that if you are someone who is pregnant and you need someone to cry with you, celebrate with you, or to accompany you to an ultrasound appointment, those are all things I have pastoral experience in. And as for other reproductive health care needs, I am also a partner with the Take Control Initiative, so I keep emergency contraception in the pastor's study. And I am a part of a faith network that can get you to a state that more consistently recognizes our right to bodily autonomy. No matter what, you are not alone. This church will make sure of it. But Mary did not have any of those options. So she ran to Elizabeth's front door. And this was a serious undertaking. According to tradition, Elizabeth lived in the Judean hill country, which was, they think, estimated about five miles west of Jerusalem and 80 miles from Nazareth, where Mary lived. Mary likely would have made this trip on foot, although we do like to add donkeys to stories about the nativity. But she likely would have made this trip alone and on foot, that Mary would attempt to the trip at all speaks to the gravity of her situation. 
but she does make it there. And this is when everything changed for Mary. Elizabeth greets Mary by blessing her, which is to say that she gave thanks for Mary, celebrated, supported, and honored her. Not only does Elizabeth offer a blessing, she also considers herself lucky to get the opportunity to welcome this terrified girl, saying, and why has this happened to me? That the mother of my Lord comes to me. Can you believe it? I can't even believe it. What an incredibly powerful affirmation for Mary to hear, especially given the circumstances. In a moment when Mary knew quite clearly that she was about to be rejected, not just by Joseph, the most important person in her life at that time, but likely by everyone else she knew. And in this moment, Elizabeth said, I am so lucky to have you in my life. You are a gift from God. Elizabeth's generosity changes the entire arc of the story. I mean, when does Mary sing the Magnificat? When does she find her voice? When is she convinced that everything is going to work out? After she gets help when she finds refuge in the wake of being embraced. Only then is it that Mary sings about being lifted up, the hungry being filled with good things and the rich sent away empty. Technically speaking, this joyfulness should have come earlier. You remember the short infomercial I started the sermon with about Gaudete Sunday and its originating in the Catholic tradition's preference for Latin. The New Testament was not written in Latin, though Greek, that's what the New Testament was written in. And in verse 28, the NRSV translates the angel's first word to us as greetings, but the Greek is Cairo or rejoice. The angel is telling Mary that she should be glad. She should be cheerful. She should be happy. He tells her that she should smile more. <laughs> oh, Gabriel. <laughs> Nobody, nope, nope, nope. Don't do that. Do not tell a woman to smile. Not okay. As researcher Kat Bohannon explains in her book, Eve, how women drove two million years of evolution, human brains are long evolved to carefully track how each individual fits into a larger group. We each have specialized roles in our groups, roles that can shift depending on circumstances. We spend years carefully learning how to successfully live inside our deeply social world. It's one of the most characteristic features of our species, that extended period of social learning. Our, our brains are built for it. Our species depends on it. When you break a social rule, usually you suffer consequences. So you learn to perform in ways that fit and learn to fake it a bit when you can't. You're not going to be conscious of most of these performances. That would take too much energy. You just know you're supposed to smile when someone else smiles, you don't usually need to think about it. But what if you've learned you're supposed to sort of always smile, 
even when it's not a direct, appropriate emotional response to someone else's smile. For example, what if you're a woman walking down a street and some guy on the sidewalk yells, hey, sweetie, why aren't you smiling? That should count as a stressor. It's a reprimand. And it'll probably train you consciously and unconsciously to smile more, whether you should or not. But our girl Mary doesn't fall for it. She doesn't smile on command, even though it was coming from a theology bro. As the text says, she was much perplexed by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. She was also scared, which is again why she hightailed it out of Nazareth to Elizabeth's house, and as we know, it wasn't until she arrived at Elizabeth's and received blessing and affirmation that she was able to rejoice. So it seems that Elizabeth's extravagant welcome is the linchpin of this story, not Mary's virginity or whether or not she smiled enough. Mary needed someone to see her, to name her belovedness and welcome her with love, no strings attached. I've said it before, Elizabeth is the patron saint of the United Church of Christ the originator of the extravagant welcome and radical hospitality, an inspiration for our saying that no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Our story reminds us that the good news came because someone held open the door. It is what begs us to change the question we ask families at the border from where are your papers to why has this happened to me, that the children of my God come to me? It is why pretending that the Bible says God only helps those who help themselves is decidedly unchristian, for Elizabeth did not insist on work requirements so that Mary could live there. It is why we must never tire of reminding others that they are a blessing because sometimes we need to hear it before we can be it. Sometimes we need the sound of another's voice to celebrate us before we can celebrate ourselves. Words of blessing and extravagant welcome, these are our best traditions this season and every season. I confess that I have been so delighted and satisfied with that interpretation and understanding of the story that until preparing for this sermon, I had largely ignored what happened just before it. Verses 24 and 25 might as well have not existed, but there they are in Luke's gospel. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. This five months is, of course, a literary device in the text, giving us a divine timetable for all that is happening. But what else is going on here? Five months is a long time. Anyone waiting for social security disability insurance benefits can tell you this. 
Because after you've been approved, after you've been approved to receive Social Security Disability Insurance benefits, there is a five-month waiting period before you're entitled to receive those benefits. Or ask anyone who is looking for a job. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics shows that the median unemployment duration in March 2023 was five months. Or to think of it another way, five months is almost four times longer than the entire Apollo 11 mission, the first trip by humans to the surface of the moon. Five months can be a really long time. And so again, we are moved to ask, what is going on here? In the women's lectionary, Dr. Will Gaffney translates Luke chapter 1, verse 24 to say, and she hid herself for five months, arguing that the language for Elizabeth's seclusion is strong and should be translated in a way that expresses that. These five months are a mystery to us, much like Zachariah's season of silence. There just isn't any more information about what happened or what she did. So it could be that Elizabeth, like Zachariah, was in a season of spiritual solitude, wanting to go inward to prepare for the birth of her son. Theologians Barbara Reed and Shelley Matthews note that while Luke does not specify the source of Elizabeth's disgrace, the narrative sequence implies that despite her uprightness in keeping all of the commandments, she endured unmerited contempt because of her childlessness, like Sarah did from Hagar in Genesis and Hannah from Penina in 1 Samuel. Such treatment of women who long for children makes their pain doubly difficult to bear. So perhaps Elizabeth was protecting herself from the scrutiny of her neighbors. Maybe she was having a really difficult pregnancy. It could be that she was experiencing foreboding joy, consumed with worry that something terrible was about to happen. Our own human experience makes it easy to speculate on the questions that must have consumed Elizabeth's time. I mean, does the Lord really know how old I am? We have been wanting children for so long, and now we're pregnant? I have been shamed for so long. How am I supposed to rejoice with this news? As the Reverend Cecilia Armstrong notes, we don't hear Elizabeth's questions, but we hear her resolve in verse 25. This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. We don't hear Mary's questions either, the ones she would have been turning over and over in her mind after the angel's visit and on her way to Elizabeth's house. But our own human experiences make it easy to imagine the question she had, which must have been not too different from Elizabeth's. Does the Lord know how young I am? I haven't even been married yet, and now I'm pregnant? The shame of being with child without being married first. How am I supposed to rejoice with this? We don't hear her questions, 
but we witness her resolve by seeing her travel to her relative. And this, this is really the moment everything changed for both of them. In her book, Atlas of the Heart, Professor Brene Brown defines joy as an intense feeling of deep spiritual connection, pleasure, and appreciation. It is characterized by a connection with others or with God, nature, or the universe. Joy expands our thinking and attention, and it fills us with a sense of freedom and abandon. So what it seems like happened is that Mary showed up on Elizabeth's door and her presence activated Elizabeth's joy. Mary's appearance on Elizabeth's front step is when Elizabeth finds her voice, when she becomes convinced that everything will work out. And then of course, Elizabeth's joy activates Mary's joy. Theologian and writer Ann Robertson notes, the opposite of joy isn't sadness, but fear. And it seems that the connection between Elizabeth and Mary assured both that they indeed did not need to be afraid, which means that they had room for joy. Their connection provided them the strength to carry onward, to face whatever was to come with gladness, without any cajoling or harassment on their own volition, they probably smiled. Beloved community, this is how a weary world rejoices. We move towards each other out of isolation and into connection. In these final weeks of Advent, our homework is to consider how we are living into this. How are we seeking out connection? And as importantly, how are we being the first to offer it? Connection can happen over a cup of coffee or holding open the door, an email, a handwritten note, a phone call, or a million other random, simple acts that says, I see you, and I see your belovedness. Connection leads to joy. And in days like these, when weariness and worry threaten to overwhelm us, perhaps, as Mary Oliver suggests, Joy is a way of fighting back. Or, to borrow the words of poet Toy Derricott, joy is an act of resistance. Perhaps then, we should start greeting each other a bit differently this time of year, something that is a little more faithful to the spirit of the season. We can try it out this week and just see how it fits. Are you ready? Merry Resistmas, church. <laughs> Merry Resistmas. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. 
Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.